0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Brian Koberger's defense attorneys release new information about DNA testing from his car, home, and office. The results they believe could help them as a court fight brews over the genetic genealogy that led police to Koberger. I've covered a lot of crime stories over the years, many of them here at Law & Crime, and it always gets me thinking about how important it is to stay safe. This is Palm Pepper Spray, and it can help you do just that. It's a small but mighty self-defense tool. Palm Pepper Spray shoots up to 12 feet using the strongest legal form of pepper spray available. It's safe and easy. You just point and spray. And if you want to try it, you can get 10% off. Just log on to palmpepperspray.com Put in the promo code LAWCRIME10 and remember, if you or anyone else is ever in danger, always call 911. Brian Koberger's trial is set for October and in newly filed court documents, his lawyers say none of the victim's DNA was found in Koberger's apartment, home, office, or car. The revelation came in court documents filed by Koberger's lawyers, objecting to the prosecution's request for a protective order on the investigative genetic genealogy the fbi used to id Koberger as a suspect prosecutors claim Koberger, dressed in all black went into the house on king road after 4 a.m on november 13th of last year and in less than 20 minutes killed all four students by stabbing then they say he got into his white hyundai elantra and took off driving a longer route back to his apartment in pullman washington the arrest of Koberger happened six weeks after the murders, so that's plenty of time to clean up. And a source had told me some time ago that Koberger's car appeared to be bleached. But getting rid of blood can be incredibly difficult. Blood, of course, contains DNA. Koberger's defense team also claims prosecutors are hiding crucial parts of the investigation from them that they want to see, including the genetic genealogy the FBI used to build family trees, that led them to the Koberger family. Investigators say Koberger's DNA was left on the snap of the K-Bar knife sheaf left next to Matty Mogan's body. When the test result came back to a single source of male DNA and it didn't result in a hit in a national database of known felons called CODIS, the FBI turned to genetic genealogy to try to find a suspect. The feds built the family trees from there and that led them to Koberger's father and later him. Prosecutors do not want to turn that information over to the defense and have asked the judge for a protective order. In fact, prosecutors cite another case when they claim they shouldn't have to turn over that information, but the defense is having none of it. Koberger's attorneys say they should get to see the materials that led to their client being labeled a suspect. Koberger's lawyers also say that two other DNA profiles from the King Road home were run through CODIS along with a male DNA profile found on a glove outside of the home. Koberger has, of course, pleaded not guilty to one count of burglary and four counts of first-degree murder in the murders of all four students. His trial is set for October. Joining me to discuss the very latest and all of this new information about the case against Brian Koberger is James Bogan. He's a criminal defense attorney in Ohio. James, welcome to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you. Always nice to be here, Anjanette.
0: Just off the top of this, there's so much new information that we've learned from these documents that were filed late Friday. The fact that Brian Koberger is facing four charges of first-degree murder and a burglary count for the homicides and for this awful thing that happened last November. And his defense team is saying the information they've been given shows no connection between Brian Koberger and the victims. As a defense attorney, your thoughts on their claim?
1: Well, they're going to have to back them up at trial. They, they're, If they're claiming there's no connection, there have been cell tower pings, which are not conclusive in themselves. Then, yeah, his touch DNA was found on the knife sheath. That can be addressed, too, by the fact that touch DNA can be transferred by more than just the perpetrator touching the item in question. For example, if I shake hands with you and then go kill somebody, your DNA will be on the murder weapon. But you also have alleged messages on Instagram in some of the months leading up to this incident from Brian Kohlberger to one of the victims. Now, obviously that's stuff that, if the prosecution's alleging this stuff, they're gonna have to back that up. So yeah, there's a pretty interesting mix of evidence and arguments here.
0: And I, I want to be clear about this whole thing about the Instagram messages that was reported by one news outlet, and we haven't been able to verify that. We don't even know if that's true. So that was one news outlet that re- that reported that information, citing an anonymous source. There's been a lot of anonymous source information in this case, so we have to re- be really careful about that. But my, what I that's find what interesting I said allegedly. about it is that, yeah, <laughs> what I find interesting about it is they're saying there's no connection. Then we move on to the DNA part of this. The DNA part is them saying that what I find interesting, they're, they're saying there's no DNA of the victims. And this is a crime that would have been incredibly bloody. We have four college students stabbed to death in a home. One of them we know, Zana Karnodal, according to her father, fought back. So, there was some type of altercation there with a knife. And yet, the defense team is saying in this uh, filing that there wasn't any of the victim's DNA in this case found in Brian Koberger's home, his office, his apartment, or his vehicle that the state says he was driving that night of the homicide. So, would you expect after a crime that is so bloody, it had to have been, uh, that there would be no evidence of their victim's DNA in this vehicle.
1: That's actually very shocking.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: If you're on the prosecution side of this, yeah, that certainly helps the defense. Now, if there happens to be some evidence that he did some complete deep cleaning, that's one thing that could possibly mitigate that for the prosecution. But on its face, yeah, definitely doesn't help the prosecution if there's really is no DNA from the victims in either Mr. Kohlberger's car or at his home.
0: And we did, as I mentioned earlier, up at the top of this, we had been given information I had back in January that he may have bleached this car. That hasn't come up in any court filings yet, but uh, that is something I was told from somebody I consider reliable. Another thing that I find interesting about all of this is the fact that the defense, they've received... 51 terabytes of information from the prosecution. That includes video evidence, reports. They obviously have some DNA evidence, some DNA testing results back from the crime lab. They've been given that information, but they're saying the state is still trying to hide its case from them. And they're talking about the genetic genealogy that was used to identify a suspect in this case from that touch DNA that was found on the knife sheath laying next to Maddie Mogan's body. They cited a case, the Green case, where they said, oh, look at this other case. In that case, the prosecution wasn't required to turn over the genetic genealogy information to the defense, so we shouldn't have to do it either. What is your take on that? Because I find that confounding, that you would not have to, as the prosecution, that you wouldn't be required to turn over evidence that led you to a suspect, and you're citing all this information, but you wouldn't turn it over to the defense so they could defend their client.
1: I think that's the fox guarding the hen house expecting you to, tr- expecting the judge to trust him. When the fox guarding the gu- hen house says, trust me, you don't have to check on the hens, that definitely is what I'm thinking we have here by the state. Now, the defense cites a case of their own where they use facial, the methodology from a facial recognition software where another court found that that had to be disclosed and saying it shouldn't be disclosed to the defense to protect all those innocent people in the database and so on, that is completely going over the top. If they really feel the need to get have those people protected, it can easily be done with a protective order where only counsel is allowed to view it.
0: I was wondering, too, why why wouldn't you just say only counsel can view this information, but we're going to turn it over? Why, why do you think that the prosecution is so loath to turn this over, James? Because I would mm. think that this would be pretty uh, discoverable. This would be kind of like exhibit A of discovery that should be turned over. This is how you found our guy. This is how you determined or figured out or tried to find out that my client was the suspect. So why would they not want that information turned over? I understand they're saying, oh, we want to protect the identity of all these other relatives, but doesn't that seem like something that should be turned over?
1: It does. And again, that's where I use my fox guarding the hen house analogy. They're basically saying, trust the fox who's guarding the hen house to say he's not going after the hens without checking on the hens yourself. And even just real basic, remember when we did math class, when we were in going up in school, it was always show your work. You don't just give an answer. And that's another analogy I'll use here. How did they get to that conclusion? The state definitely needs to turn that over so the defense can adequately investigate that. Given that this is a death penalty case, If the judge doesn't let the defense look at that stuff, he's asking for reversal on appeal.
0: There were two other interesting items included in the defense's kind of response to the state's motion for a protective order in which they said there were two other male DNA profiles that the prosecution, the the police, had run through CODIS, the, the DNA index system that tracks known felons. So it was two other male profiles found in the home, then a third male DNA profile found on a glove outside the home. What is that telling you? If they ran these through CODIS, would those profiles be profiles they just couldn't identify from other people that had been in the house? Or are these DNA profiles that are on items
1: of evidence that could be noteworthy? That depends. I mean, it depends on who these people are and how their locations can be verified. I mean, quite frankly, at any crime scene, unless it was completely scrubbed down right before the crime happened, you're always going to have multiple DNA sources, multiple DNA found at any scene, whether it's a car or a house. And apparently this may have been a party house too, with a lot of people going in and out. So really the fact that there's multiple DNA here that doesn't really that's not really surprising to me because that's really the reality of it it's not like csi where aha they found one hair by the suspect and there's nothing else at the scene no it's always a mixed bag at every scene
0: yeah and this house was a party house i mean we've seen the body camera footage i mean this is a house where kids were in and out all of the time multiple kids whether it was women men what have you a lot of people in and out plus that glove that was found outside the crime scene we've heard a lot of talk about that uh, over the many months people speculating that could have been the killer leaving a glove behind what have you what i find interesting though is this house was a petri dish it's literally a petri dish of dna and you find three profiles one outside the house two inside that you decide to run through CODIS. so To me, I'm thinking those had to be profiles that they couldn't eliminate as belonging to other people who had been in the house and that they were thinking might be leading them to a suspect. Am I wrong?
1: Well, again, it's a mixed bag. It could be if it could be anybody. And again, they're not they can't just rely on a DNA hit. They're going to have to look at who are these people Where could they have been during the time of the murder? They can't just say, aha, DNA, and not look at anything else. But yeah, that just goes to my point that any crime scene is gonna be a mixed bag of DNA. And it doesn't really tell you when the DNA was left there. It just tells you it was left there in some way, shape, or form.
0: Another thing that the defense is arguing about, and we should mention Brian Koberger will be back in court on Tuesday afternoon in Moscow, Idaho. His defense team is saying, look, they filed three or four motions to compel now to, they want the judge to say to the prosecution, turn over what we're asking for. They're not giving us what we want. Also, they want all of these grand jury materials. The defense wants to kind of analyze the grand jury in this case and see how the grand jurors were selected and whether or not the process was flawed. They want to get the indictment tossed out. And they're asking to stay the proceedings because of this. Brian Koberger has basically demanded a speedy trial, which is his right under the US Constitution. But they're saying we have to stay the proceedings because we can't reach an agreement over which grand jury materials we should be given. So, what are your thoughts on that?
1: The defense is not entitled to grand jury materials as a regular part of discovery. And Really, I this strikes me as a motion where they're more trying to make a record than anything else. Because in death penalty cases, you're going to file motions about everything, including the kitchen sink. And that's what I see it as. And again, grand jury materials, the only time they're admissible is, say, a witness who testified, the grand jury testifies. And before you, the defense does cross-examination, they can ask the judge to inspect the transcript of their grand jury testimony to look for differences. And if there are differences, then the defense is entitled to it to use it for cross-examination. That's the only time I ever see grand jury stuff ever coming in. I've had that happen a couple times, but the grand jury is a closed proceeding and you're not entitled to grand jury testimony and other grand jury stuff as just as a matter of normal discovery.
0: So you don't think that judge judge is going to say to the state, all right, back up the truck and unload all your grand jury stuff. You think maybe he'll tailor something that lets the defense maybe have some items that they're entitled
1: to. Well, the selection stuff, I've never heard of anyone asking for that. I can see why they are. Again, more to make a record in my opinion, but maybe the judge might do that just to show, hey, it was a random randomly picked group of voters or whoever however else they make the grand jury list for prospective grand jurors and leave it at that. I don't see, now if they sit there and went door to door and said, oh, you're pro-death penalty, I'll get you, you, you. uh, Absence, something like that, I don't see that motion going anywhere.
0: Yeah, that's not how grand juries are selected or juries in general. So I don't see that that's how they went and uh, picked these jurors. Uh, You brought up the death penalty. We're still waiting to see whether or not the state files that notice and says yes we are pursuing the death penalty many people expect this to be a death penalty case because both sides have death qualified attorneys on the teams so you would think that that was clue that they're saying yeah we're going to pursue the death penalty but maybe not necessarily because they have about 30 more days or so a little less than 30 more days to tell Brian Koberger and notify the court whether or not they are pursuing the death penalty in this case.
1: Yeah, well, given how much news this case has gotten, I look at this from a political standpoint, too. I don't see any prosecutor deciding not to seek the death penalty in this and not expecting political backlash.
0: Well, James Bogan, uh, we will keep a close eye on it, and we appreciate you coming back on to talk with us about it and uh, appreciate your time as always.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anjanette. And that's it for this edition of
0: Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. You can download and listen to Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always watch it on Law & Crimes YouTube channel. I'm Ann Jeanette Levy, and we will see you next time.